Hello, and welcome to The Gray Area, where I give interviews with developers, talk about gaming news and reviews, and focus on the interrelationships between gamers. My name is Genesee Gray, and this is the 81st episode in a weekly series called Sarah Angel. Here with me is Serafina Brennan, Community Specialist from Turbine. Welcome. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you, Genesee. Welcome. (laughs) Very excited. (laughs) Last week's episode was a discussion with Krista Hauser from Fifth Column Games and Jessica Johnson from Girl Girl Trouble Time. Please visit www.genesee.com to add to the forum discussion on that topic and to tell me your story. Today is Thursday, September 13th, and we're going to meet Sarah, talk about the Avarice RPG, gaming massively, and transgenderedness, which is not really a word, I just made it up. I, I think I've used it before, actually. Okay. Like, transgenderedness is like a whole, it's its own thing. It's a whole giant plethora, I guess. Good, see? I've been <laughs> sanctioned. <laughs> now, one of the most interesting stories that I heard this week I would like to share with you and then see what you think. Uh, All right. <laughs> Czech developer Bohemia Interactive has confirmed reports two of its employees uh, were working on the game Arma three and they went (laughs) to greece to film some interesting footage to use to build one of the military bases in that game and unfortunately they chose a real base and were caught photographing and filming on the military base on the greek island of lemnos uh, for the tactical military simulator and the greek the military greek Police were not very happy about that. <laughs> so they're no. currently holding them right now. And there's a lot of, uh, of chatter about it. The official stance is, quote, Since its establishment in 1999, Bohemia Interactive has created games based only upon publicly available information. We always respect the law, and we've never instructed anybody to violate the laws of any country. And they said that they're hoping for the families in a difficult situation, and this is an unfortunate misunderstanding of the passion as artists and creators of virtual worlds. So the comments kind of run from people saying, well, their intentions are good. They, you know, didn't mean to, to violate national security. But also, you know, it wouldn't be a good idea to play a military simulator of an accurate base where you storm the base, probably. So what are your thoughts on this? <laughs> My thoughts, I mean, first of all, it, this was a really sad story. I was reading about this yesterday, and I felt absolutely terrible to actually read, you know, the, you know, some of our other developer friends have been uh, arrested and charged with espionage, of all things. Right. Um, I, that is a very serious charge, and, uh, you know, we always strive for realism in games, but at the same time, um, I, I, I mean, I read Bohemia Interactive uh, statement, and I also read... A couple other things about what, what what they do. I haven't played Arma. I haven't installed, and I should play it. But uh, from what I've heard, that they just take the information and they usually use it to base their fantasy environments on. So even though you know they look at real world places and they base their game in fantasy worlds, but they pull all their information from from the real world. Um, but and I, I that is you know so they they don't set out from what I from what I know from what I've heard they don't set out to create perfect perfect recreations. Um, but with that said, you know, I, I just really feel bad, really bad for them. I am, I understand getting research, but mm-hmm. you know, I guess they got a little too close and perhaps they should have asked it, you know, it just hurts. It just really hurts, you know, for, to, to hear about this. Um, it's I such guess a tragic mistake. It. Definitely. You can I see it know. happening to anyone. I'm sure I it was know. beautiful there and they probably thought, oh, I'll just take these beautiful outside shots and they weren't thinking of yeah. the military implications. Oh, yeah, probably not. Probably not. You know, and 
getting a camera anywhere close to a military base is never a good idea these days. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's kind of sad. And there's been a little bit of sad news uh, lately yeah. with the, um, let's see, Sean Smith from EVE Online. EVE Online and Vile Rat. Yeah. Right. That was extremely, extremely heartbreaking to hear. So we will turn to more happy news, hopefully, <laughs> and ask you, what is your news of the week? What are you up to? News of the week, geez. I mean, I just moved, unfortunately. I'm in a brand new room, which is oh, great. Really? You know, but everything's, yes. I, I have track lighting. Like, this is all brand new to me. <laughs> well, that's good. So, that's good news. Look around trying, trying to figure things out still. Uh, it's a little messy, but uh, hopefully it looks nice for everyone out there in internet land. <laughs> As I, like, look over this way, because the chat's over, oh. over here on this side of the screen. <laughs> Uh, but otherwise, I've been really busy with you know with work and everything, and uh, preparing Avarice. Uh, last week, we uh, basically sent out all of our stuff, all of our backer promises, except for one thing for the ultra high level backers. They actually get a um, customized uh, note from one of the in game characters, which I still have to make. Oh my! So, How many of those do you uh, have to do? Only five, you know. There's only there was a very few number. It was a limited high end run, basically. Okay. But they are like they're like my lifetimers, you know. They, per, you know, purchased the game and now they get all future expansions for free. Basically, they oh, paid a one time fee. Okay. So. That's good. Uh, That's a good show of faith. Yeah. Exactly. You know, I I really like people who really help me out with this and got it off the ground. Uh, but the Avers Industries RPG is going quite well, and uh, hopefully this week I get to actually launch. The plan for the game uh, currently, as backers know, we're in a state right now where we're trying to get uh, the rest of the book done. We got all of our stuff out, and now it's finishing the book and finishing the art. So we're going to release a timeline for that, and then hopefully publish the book online finally and let people play. All the people can play right now. The backers actually have the rules, but then it will be for sale for everyone else. Oh, so. exciting! Yeah. Well, I want to talk about Avarice a little more, but first I want to jump okay. to one of my. My points that I have to ask everyone who comes on because I get jealous. Dragon Con, how was Dragon Con? Oh, 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 oh it was great. <laughs> I am a five-year veteran. Five years now I've been going to Dragon Con. I realized it this year and it blew my mind completely. Oh. Uh, it doesn't seem like it, especially because like when I first went, I was still in college, and I was driving down twelve hours from Pittsburgh with all my friends in a giant van. You wow. know, dedication. And now, and now these years, I can just get on a plane and just fly down in two hours and it's much simpler now <laughs> no doubt like I, can, I can afford things now all of a sudden oh my gosh you know uh, <laughs> do not go into the dice room no oh, no but <laughs> oh the dice from chessex well uh, chessex made all the iris industries dice but i walked over there of course when i looked at their dice i immediately spend like 40 dollars <laughs> in a blink of an eye i even move i'm standing still and all of a sudden i'm holding a bag of dice and i'm out 40 bucks <laughs> it happens like that Oh, it does. But Dragon Con is always amazing. Like I, 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 if there's one convention I can look forward to uh, every year, it's always Dragon Con. Did you it's see like any my, good speakers? I saw a lot of good speakers, as a matter of fact. Uh, I, I went to a panel from Stephen Reed, the uh, community manager for the ex community manager for Bioware, now the director of community for Gazillion Entertainment. And uh, oh my God, was it Tony? No, I feel terrible now. It was one of the members from SOE. I feel terrible. I forgot his name. I'll think about it now. I'll remember it. Yeah, I'll remember it later. I'll be like, <laughs> oh, dang, you know. But uh, it was a community management panel, which was really interesting to listen to. Uh, Alice Cooper was there this year, as a matter of fact. Really? 
Yes, he, he showed up. Uh, he talked about uh, his One Rock Tour, Billion Dollar Babies, and some of the special effects behind it, which was really interesting. Kind of like back behind the scenes, you know, what was going on with the tour. Super, super cool speaker. I mean, it's Alice Cooper. He's a great speaker oh, right. in general. <laughs> he's used to large cool audiences. Yeah, he's just used to giant audiences and doing crazy things like killing himself on stage multiple times. He's the only person uh, that could do that multiple times. No, yeah. He's very amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I saw that Felicia Day was uh, filming The Flog there. Do you watch The Flog at all? It's one of my favorite little web series. It's, it's on Geek and Sundry, isn't it? Yeah, or is it on something Geek and else? Sundry. Geek and Sundry. Her big, her big push. No, I didn't see. In fact, I didn't really run to Felicia Day or the Guild this year. Usually, every year I end up running into them by accident. Oh. Um, at a party or something like that. I always say, "Hey," but this year I didn't see them. We we must have just missed each other. <laughs> Usually, it's in some obscure building, like quite a walk from the hotels, and you know, the only time yeah. you ever encounter is if you're doing the zombie parade. That's kind of what I recall of where they always meet. <laughs> yes, I mean, never know. They're all they're all over the place. They're super secret ninjas. <laughs> right. Probably secret guards that take them underground to get places. Yes, yes, absolutely. Although it didn't always used to be like that. I, I actually interviewed them uh, back when I was with Massively. I interviewed them uh, when they came to Philadelphia's Game X, the one-year game convention. That's because that's all that happened. Oh. It, it happened for one year, and uh, it was a neat convention. It was pretty cool, but it was very small. It didn't do what it wanted to do. But uh, Jeff, Sandeep, and Robin actually came. And they were manning the guild table by themselves. Like, it was sad. I walked Old over days. and nobody was talking to them. It was season one, you know. I was like, oh my god, guys, I love your show. I'm so into MMOs. And can I interview you guys? I'm like, yeah, sure, you know, no problem. And I saw Jeff a year later at Dragon Con. I said, hey, Jeff, we met at Game X. And all he looked at me, he just went deadpan. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. <laughs> <sighs> Well, it's you have a mutual memory, which is the only thing now it exists. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so let's go to some past history. The, <laughs> the childhood gaming question. So when did you become interested in games, and what was your inspiration for that? Five. I was interested in games at the age of five, because my parents bought me... I really wanted a Nintendo, because um, I was right at the age where Nintendo was the big thing. Everyone wanted Super Mario Brothers, everyone wanted... Legend Zelda and stuff like that. Okay. And uh, instead of getting that, I got the Interactive Vision. <laughs> it oh. was a... Yes, have you, have you ever heard of it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, like one of the I went to the Art of Video Games. Show. It was like there on the wall with all the old stuff. <laughs> oh, I'm certain it was. I'm certain it was. It was actually, for what it was, it was a very advanced system. Because it actually used the VCR and it would play a tape. And it was like watching an episode of a cartoon or something like that. Mm -hmm. And you could control the action, and as you won or lost games, it changed the direction of the tape. So you could actually get different episodes or parts of it to play. Oh. Could you wear so it out there over cool. time? Uh, yeah, because I think I did. Because <laughs> it was basically switching the head on the VCR to run on a certain like frequency, so it would only show part of the screen and not the lower half, the other sound and the other half oh. of the episode. So I'm certain you could. Um, it would kill your VCR more than it would kill your interactive vision, I think. I would think so. Yeah, but for what it was, it was very cool. Got to play with Mickey and, and Sesame Street and all that. But eventually, you know, I, I got the Nintendo, uh, and I wasn't the only one in the house addicted to games, as a matter of fact. I would go to bed, and 
I would wake up at night and I would hear ba-ding, ba-ding, ba-ding from downstairs. And I hear my mom going, honey, jump over the, jump over the rocks, jump over the turtle, jump over the turtle, faster, honey, faster. Oh, you ran out of time. And of course I would Aww. yell down, are you playing my Nintendo? And I would hear this, go to bed, sweetie, we're just watching television. <laughs> Do they play the more advanced stuff? Did they keep gaming after the, you caught them? No, 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 they really didn't. They, uh, it's like the simple they, ones. They're very, they're very particular about their gaming. Uh, okay. They like Mario. They love Tetris. They love Tetris. Uh, they really got into Bejeweled recently and, um, mm. and Draw Something and stuff like that. They're really big Facebook gamers now. But before, I think the weirdest thing they actually got really into was Blastris for the Super Nintendo. I don't it know was that. Oh, it came on the Super Scope, as a matter of fact. When you bought your Super Scope, you had a cart of six games. Um, and two of them were two games called, uh, called Blastris. One was you had to shoot uh, like these stained glass windows to play Tetris, basically. And the other one was falling squares. And you would hit them, and they would rotate to different colors. And my parents loved it. I would always like walk up and see them holding the super scope, shooting it at the screen, you know, compulsively. <laughs> uh, so That's they, cool. So you felt supported as you grew as a gamer. Where they would they buy you different systems and different games without too much complaint? Uh, pretty much, yeah. I mean, the the biggest complaint was the money. They were very expensive. We all complain about that. Oh yeah, and of course I asked for every system available. I even asked for the. For the Jaguar, I asked for the uh, 3DO. Like my parents, were like those are too expensive, honey. You know, no, you're not getting, you're not getting those. You get the Genesis five years after the Genesis was big. You get the Super, <laughs> actually, I got the Super Nintendo. That, but the big thing was Nintendo 64. I think that was the one I got the year it came out, the Christmas it came out. They found one. They stood in line apparently for it. They even tried. And much like the kid who got the Nintendo 64 and screamed, you know, the Nintendo 64! Mm -hmm. I was the opposite of that. I looked at it, I looked up, I looked back down, and I just started crying. Because it was just like, so glorious. <laughs> best Christmas <laughs> ever. It was the best Christmas ever. And, and they were like, they were trying to figure out if, if I wanted it or didn't want it. And I was... My parents were like, are you okay? Oh, Is this the right thing? You know, and they were really worried. I was like, no, it's so beautiful. <laughs> cool. So how yeah, does they... the writing come in from the gaming, uh, kind of taking it to to the written word? I don't know. I just, I've always been a writer. Um, when I was young, I used to do diaries. I started off with that and journals. Um, then I moved into like Power Rangers fan fiction. Like basically, it was basically Power Rangers fan fiction, and uh, that slowly evolved into one of my worlds that I actually still write in to this day. Although it's become more adult, of course. Even Avarice Industries, for as adult as it is, and and the issues it tackles now, it wasn't always like that. When I was ten, I started writing Avarice and some of the characters that appear there, and uh, it it just it was just something I always wanted to do. It was something I really felt very passionate about. And it didn't feel like a hobby. It never felt like work. Writing was never work for me. It was just something I did. It's something that was fun. Like gaming. Gaming was fun. That's why I did gaming, I think. Um, okay. And I grew out of that. You know, like, why not do what you love? <laughs> so is that what you said when people would say, what do you want to do when you grow up? Would you say, would you say I want to be a gaming writer? I, I said both things. Uh, I actually said I wanted to be a game writer for a while, and they were like, those don't exist. 
And I was like, oh, I want to work in video games. You're never going to work in video games, honey. Like, shoot, shoot low. You know, um, <laughs> every parent does that. Don't try it, you know, like, and push it. Uh, uh, I want to be a writer. Oh, writers make no money. But I really want to be a writer. But you, you don't want to be a writer. You don't want to be a starving artist, you know, barely making ends meet. Go to college, get a sustainable degree, which was good advice. You know, it, it was good advice. And then work from there. If you want to be a writer after that, then go for it. You know, they, they, weren't, they were never downers about it. They just always wanted me to be reasonable. Fallbacks. Okay. Yeah, fallbacks. Yeah. I ended up going to college. And I ended up going for a reasonable degree. And that was in pharmacy, of all things. Um, I was actually accepted to the University of Pittsburgh as a conditional pharmacy student. And they only hand that out to 50 freshmen. Um, which basically says, as long as I keep my grades up and as long as I keep with the program, I automatically get accepted to the school of pharmacy in my second year. Which was a great deal. That was really awesome. Okay. And then I found out I really didn't like pharmacy. Oh. <laughs> that was not the thing for me. You know, my grades suffered. Everything suffered. It, didn't, it, didn't, it wasn't what I wanted to do as much as I thought it was what I wanted to do. So I ended up reevaluating everything, going for uh, psychology and working specifically with virtual worlds. Because that's, again, do something that you love. Mm -hmm. um, I picked studying virtual worlds and studying social psychology and large group psychology. And I wanted to get into research. And by accident, I ended up getting a side job at Massively to make ends meet. And from there, well, I ended up falling into game writing. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, and was game design your first writing job for game design? Because I saw something no, I, on, on your LinkedIn saying you had oh, yeah, writings for yeah. game design. I did write for game design specifically. I did actually write uh, for CCP for a little bit as a freelance writer really? um, on EVE Online specifically. Yes. Yeah, I was a writer on EVE Online for a little bit. Can't talk about what I wrote, but I can say that Still? I actually did work for them <laughs> briefly. Okay. It was a really good experience. Uh, taught me a lot about freelance writing. Um, I wrote some freelance missions for uh, role-playing games, pen and paper role-playing games. Well, so, yeah. it looks like in your LinkedIn that you worked at game design, they're saying for nine months doing like freelance, and then suddenly you're, you're in Massively, which is, it's kind of like coming out of high school and being hired at Valve. <laughs> you know, that's, really? you're, you're that's amazing. That? Yeah. Massively? Yeah. yeah, well, somebody who's Massively didn't just... always start off to what, to what it was. You know? uh, okay. Well, see, I only know Massively of now. I don't know the beginning. What was that? I only know the massively of present day. I don't know the pre-beginning building massively. So tell me what that was like. It, it, it was it was actually super interesting because um, I came on. I didn't know what joystick was when I came in. Uh, I only knew massively because I, I read all the blogs and everything. I thought massively sounded like a really cool place, and uh, I was a big fan. So I really wanted to, to work there. So I applied and didn't hear back for like six, seven months. And I thought nothing came of it. And then one day I saw that they wanted to hire new writers. So I applied again. And I got an email back about a week later. And they had said, oh, we really want to hire you. I'm like, oh, man, I can't, you know, for news design, for, for news writing? And they went, no, you applied like seven months ago. And we'll, we're going to hire you now. Of, wow, of that's a, a long wait. Yeah, well, they, they weren't hiring at the time. So until they were hiring, they didn't look at the apps. And then finally, boom. There are the applications, and oh look, there's this person who really wants to work here. Why not? Um, so, starting out, we were a much larger staff. As a matter of fact, we we started off with what I think twenty people writing news, maybe fifteen. Uh, but then there was the giant AOL instability moment, 
where we were all told to stop posting across the every blog, including like Engadget and Joystick, had to stop posting one day. Um, didn't know why. You know, we were all really scared. We didn't, we were just told from above to stop posting, so we did, and then we were assured that there will be no cuts. Well, there were cuts, uh-huh. <laughs> and our staff of fifteen went down to a staff of seven. In fact, I was I was doing news and columns at the time, and they they just asked me, "Hey, look, you know, could you scale it back a little bit to just to just columns?" I thought I thought they were going to be firing me. They're like, "We have bad news for you." I'm like, "Well, thank you for the opportunity." And they were, "No, no, no, no. your columns one of the highlight, the most spread on the site. We can't get rid of you. You know, you're it's just your news. You need to cut back on the news." I was like, "Okay, you know, sure." Um, wow, that's uh, scary. It was very scary. It, it, it happened a couple times, but everything seems much better now. You know, everything seems much more uh, uh, proficient and entire level now. That you know, there's a working comment system from what I hear on Massively.com now, which for years <laughs> I was working with yeah. that comment system. I was always like, the comment system breaks all the time and it's terrible, and that was one of my largest complaints. And the player and our commenters kept saying it, and you know. The management just kept telling us, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to it eventually. We'll get to it eventually. But I think the merger with Joystick really helped out. That was just as I was leaving. We were merging with Joystick. Okay. And after that, we got Joysticks. I, think, I see most of Joystick's things are now on Massively. And it uh, seems like it's been much better than it Massively being a separate site. Well, Anti-Alias seemed like it did uh, very well. I mean, anytime you really look up Massively, it, Anti-Alias comes up. How was that received? Did you have a lot of um, love for that column, or were people harsh as well? Oh, both, both. I think people got really engaged with Anti-Alias, because Anti-Alias was weird. It started off as me talking about games from a psychological point of view, because that was what they wanted me to do. And then it ended up just evolving into, let's ha- let Sarah just talk for a while, because <laughs> people find it interesting. And people just love listening and, and commenting. I think that was the best part. The best part. It started discussions. It started a good back and forth between, um, be- between me and the com and be me and our readers. Mm-hmm. And I always engaged with that. It wasn't just a column. It was a debate. And it was that was the best part. That was always the best part. So sure, people. Some people got really vocal and very angry about it. But other people. Uh, understood that I was engaging with them and talking and, and going back and forth in this really good this good discussion. It also takes the curtain down a little bit. I mean, most people that write That's... columns or blogs, they, they have that one step back where it's about the information that they're they're sharing and they're giving an opinion. But when you start to just talk about you know your own thoughts or just you know kind of as you said, let Sarah talk, mm-hmm. you have no curtain, and I would think that that would be difficult not to take very much to heart. No, I mean. I... At first, you do. I mean, when you're new to it, and you're reading the comments of the unfiltered internet, it's all, it's really harsh. You know, you have to. You, you get. It's hard to say. It's really hard to say. I remember like going home some nights and being like, "Oh my god, these commenters, are, these comments are just so terrible." Like, I can't believe they disagree with me so much. I can't believe you know I wrote something like this, and and you really you do take it to heart. But after a while, you you realize you understand that you have your opinions and they have theirs, and neither's wrong. I think that I think that's what I learned from it is everyone can have their opinions and share in them and grow as a group. Yeah, I can learn from you and you can learn from me. Um, How do they I give learn- these comments when uh, they have no comment system? Oh well, we we had a comment system. It just you know 
like I said, it was just a, a roulette system. You know, it was like sometimes your comments worked, sometimes they didn't. Sometimes they posted in the order they should. Sometimes they didn't. You know, it, it was a hit or miss comment system. But they they tried as they might. You know, they totally, totally uh, gave all as many comments as they could. And some comments, some of my articles got huge amounts of comments. I remember one, reading one that was like two hundred comments. I just couldn't read them all. I tried to read them all. I just couldn't, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it seems like you were at Massively for a couple years, and you made senior editor really quickly. What's the environment like when you're with a group of people that are all writing about games, and it's a full-time job? Was that your first full-time like writing job? Specifically? It became my first time writing job. I mean, it started off as a part-time job, but it became my full-time writing job. And it's as insane as you think it is. You know, we are all just gamers. We're all fun people. Uh, deadlines. And that's what made, there are deadlines, you know, and there are not only are they deadlines, but there's shocking, surprising news that just comes out at the, the weirdest of times of times that you have to like randomly call people and scream like, I need someone, I need a writer in here to write this, please, please come on, you know, <laughs> we'll give you money. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, for example, I mean, for example, if you want one of the really crazy times, when Band of Brothers broke up in Eve, and that happened at like 10 p.m. at night, uh, all of a sudden one of our writers, who didn't know really a lot about Eve, logs on to Eve and went, the map looks funny. And we're like, map looks funny how? And she's like, there, all their things lit up for all the corporations that own space, but there's this really giant hole in space that's not lit. Like something was there, but it wasn't. And we're like... What, what, what do you mean? Like, that sounds silly. And she's like, just log in and look. So I log in and I look at the space, and there it is. It's this giant freaking hole. And I'm like, what was there before? Like, so I <laughs> called Eve. Exploded. Yeah, yeah. So I called Eve, uh, or even one guy, Brandon. And I'm like, Brandon, what was there? And he's like, Bandit Brothers was there. That was like huge. Like, Bandit Brothers is amazing. And I, I even I had heard of Bandit Brothers, and I wasn't a big Eve player. And I was like, oh my God. And like, he's like, we need. A story on this we need to contact people so we did it was like being in a real newsroom at that point uh, he was running around in space trying to find members of band of brothers to talk to to get the story of what happens you know that was interesting for us it wasn't just there was a hole in space oh who cares it was what happened to band of brothers um you know how did all this go down what was their opinion on the whole thing you know where we were just talking uh, to basically everyone we could and running all the information down as fast as possible and we had a story out at 11 p.m. at night and we were one of the first ones to break it and after that it just swept the gaming media like all over like you know because this was big news no one had taken down a corporation that large in EVE online before and it was all done with uh, espionage <laughs> from Goon Squad Goon Swarm. that's how the Matani got to be the Matani you know that would be such an interesting uh, information gathering moment where you're flying around in this game and you're like XG51 and you're talking to other characters and going, no, no, I work massively and I'm trying to interview you virtually in this game. You would think well, people would look at that oddly. Right. And people are going, really? Are you really that person? Luckily, Brendan was really well known. He could point to his EVE Online columns because he signed them with his character name oh, that and was say, smart. this is me over here. You know, a knifer. And, you know, and you're a knifer right here. And they're like, oh, my God, you know. So, yeah, we actually had the corporate, we had Band of Brothers talking to us. 
And they kept telling us, well, we don't have, we're not talking right now. We're not releasing a public statement. And we started getting like real company lines back. Like, we'll talk about this in a minute. We're all, you know, we're having a board of directors meeting. Uh, it, it was really interesting trying to crack that and trying to figure out what was going on. So it, it was a very interesting experience overall that really shocked and alerted me to how amazing online worlds can be when you let players really make decisions. Hmm. I like so. that. Where are we going? Oh, games that you're playing now. Other than uh, They Bleed Pixels and Saints Row 3, which <laughs> I don't even know what They Bleed Pixels is. How do you not know what They Bleed Pixels is? It's I've a never great game. It it's super hard, too. It's, 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 uh, it's a Cthulhu... It, it is brand new. It's an indie game. It's, it's actually from the Toronto IDGA. Um which my one friend from Turbine was telling me all about, because uh, he's actually from Toronto. But it's a HP Lovecraft-inspired platformer, much like Super Meat Boy, only about a, a young girl who goes to this uh, academy for troubled girls, like La Lafcado La Academy for Troubled Young Girls. Okay. And she touches a book that's covered in blood. And, and she blood. opens it and reads it, and she turns into a demon. <laughs> and she begins to dream she's a demon. She's killing all these other demons, but when she wakes up, she realizes that part of her is actually turning into uh, the, this, the, the, the demon girl she dreams about. And every night as she, she dreams, she turns more and more into a demon during the day. So, but it's a really uh, notoriously hard platformer. It's like Super Meat Boy. Yes. It's the cheap chat room asked what was the game name. It's called They Bleed Pixels. It's very cool. It sounds like that movie that's coming out about the little girl that buys that really old trinket at a fair and she gets possessed. See, I can't, I can't even play that or watch that stuff. I'm sorry. Right. It's too scary. Oh, this, this is funny though. This is really cute. This is cute, scary. It's like, a cute demon child. It's extremely cute. I, I, it's adorable. They bleed pixels. It, they literally bleed pixels. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, maybe like Saints Row Three. We all know how awesome Saints Row Three is. Yeah. Well, that's true. Mostly for the weapons. Oh yeah, weapons are amazing. The the but the one-liners too, really good <laughs> liners. In fact, um, we are a, this is an adult show, right? I can say yeah, curse words. You can. Yes, that I, my background right now is actually my character on the um, the helicopter looking out at the penthouse and just saying uh, some assholes in my pool. That's just my background. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So all props to Volition for that. Uh, and soon, but soon will be Borderlands 2. Borderlands 2 will take up all my time, and I cannot wait for all that. Uh, but currently I'm playing uh, Guild Wars 2, of course, because my coworker Ruby is over at ArenaNet, and she guilted me into playing Guild Wars 2. How are you and finding I'm, that? I love it. It's a great game. It's a really good, solid MMO experience that is genuinely different. Um... I have nothing but admiration for for ArenaNet for doing what they're doing and all the strain their servers are probably going through right now. <laughs> but just for how solid and balanced the game is, it's it's a fun fun game. Excellent. And past that, if I'm not playing Guild Wars, I'm playing um, Lord of the Rings. Of course, I was playing Lord of the Rings online and trying to get my different alts up to level because I have an alt of most classes except for Minstrel because I really don't like healing. Okay. But. Uh, in Guild Wars 2, I understand that uh, resources are specific to your character. So uh, if you're, let's say, a miner or something, 
you run after someone who's already mining a resource, you will not be disturbing them and you can mine the whole thing yourself as well. Which I right. thought was really clever because one of the most annoying things in World of Warcraft is playing resource grabbing and, ooh, oh, no. herbs. I've done that too. I mean, on Lord of the Rings, I've done the same thing. Like, I'm looking out and I'm like, oh, look, there's a mining node. And I gallop over on my horse, go to get off, and someone snipes it. You know, the minute I'm going to go get it. Uh, in Guild Wars, I don't have to worry. In fact, I even get that that twitch reaction when I'm running towards a resource node and I see someone going for it. <laughs> I even have that that tension, like the no, <laughs> and then all of a sudden they find it. I'm like, and it doesn't go away. I'm like, oh yeah, it's instance now. So right, now we can help each other. Yeah, now we can help each other and not have to yell at each other and yell, you know, mind stealer, mind stealer. <laughs> Start waving the finger. Right. Nice. Well, see, I'm not the it, only one that's irritated by that. No, no. This is a big thing. This, that's a big thing in MMOs when people steal your stuff. Because you're running over to it. You're obviously the one running towards it. That's what you want. That's what you're making it clear to everyone else. That's what they want. And uh, I find then the someone worst, else comes in and just ruins your day. They do. I find the worst is if I'm standing there and there's mobs around the resource that I want and I'm fighting the mobs and then someone comes right behind me now that I've distracted all the mobs and takes it. That's the one that yeah. really I will start screaming in like trade chat about that. Yeah. That's the only one where you'll see me really like lose my mind. Ninja. Well, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about that in anything. So nice. Just okay. uh, past that, if I'm not playing Guild Wars and playing Second Life, I think some of the people in the chat room right now are actually from Second Life. Yeah. So I, I'm not, yes. I read your article about the voice chat feature, or I read some articles about voice chat feature in Second Life and how that is sort of a mixed reaction from people. And I was wondering what your thoughts were on that. And we'll kind of move to the gen the transgendered uh, bit here too, because people were saying if you have... Uh, let's say you have a different name than the name you use normally. People have issues with uh, real ID in the same way that people have issues with voice chat uh, in Secret World. If you're playing, um, I forget how they call that, gender flipping, where you, you change your character. And there's a word for that, but I don't remember. What, what is your opinion about the voice chat feature and you think? I think voice chat, it depends on what you're using it for. For okay. voice chat for raids, I'm an old raid leader. I really love voice chat for raids. Even if my character is female, it doesn't matter at that point. I need to get information to you. I need to do it fast. I need to be able to react tactically to very quick and changing situations. I love voice chat for that. Um, however, I should adjust my microphone here. However, if it's something like roleplay, which I do a lot of in Second Life uh, over at Kaido Braden, um, I play a, free, a female. I play a female vampire. And I don't think I want to sit there and make my character's voice constantly um, for hours at a time when I'm role-playing. You know, I don't want to sit there and talk, hello, darling, how are you today? You know, <laughs> right. in this, this, this large, you know, grand, grandiose voice, which I know she has, and that's how I, how I describe it. But I don't want to sit there and keep doing it for a while. Uh, it, it's especially difficult when you are... You know, transgender, and you're playing a character of your gender. People expect you to be of your gender. You turn on voice chat, and you go, "Hey, how you doing?" You know, like <laughs> it's a complete, it's a complete flip. Even even in World of Warcraft, when I was playing a female paladin, and I was raid leading, and we had pickup groups, people be, people be like, "Well, listen to Sefi, listen to Sefi," and I, I'm Sefi, obviously, and people are like, "Okay," and they're waiting for a female voice, and then they hear me on the other end, and they go, "You're a guy." Like, there's that dot dot dot. Right. Like, wait, you know, 
all confused, where they're entirely confused. Uh, does that get really old? <laughs> it does. You get used to it. I obviously get used to it, but it does get old after a while. Where sometimes I'll just be like, you know, yes, I'm Sefi. Yes, I'm a guy. Let's continue onwards. You know. Right, because you probably have to explain that uh, every day multiple times. You know. Yeah. I would think. Okay, chat room. Let, let's go back and and oh. define transgendered. Oh. Okay. How can we do that? Yeah, we can do that. So transgendered individuals are people who are of one, this is very specific, who are of one sex who wish to designate themselves or believe themselves to, to feel more comfortable as the opposite gender. Um, gender and sex are different. I think a lot of people miss that. Sex is a biologically um, set thing. You know, I am a male sexually. Those are my sexual organs. Um, but gender-wise, I prefer to be female. Relate more to that. I am. I, I feel more as as a female and act more as a female than I do as as a male, gender-wise, uh, which is more of a social role or a social connotation. Okay. So that's what transgender is. It's it's you are of one sex, but you are acting as another gender, uh, which could be. And people don't understand it. It doesn't have to be male or female gender. You can be gentle as a matter of fact or then there's sliders you know there could be that's why we have tomboys you know tomboys are um, you know women who are a bit more masculine but yet fully are male you know they don't want to be males they like being females but they're a bit more masculine versus you know um, men who are a bit more feminine it happens metrosexuals I guess that would fall under uh, I see I, I so guess. it doesn't necessarily mean you want to change your actual sex to the one that you identify to most. It just means that you feel you have attributes that make you feel more like uh, something that you physically are are not. Yes, and you wish to be preferred. You prefer to be called that public. You know, I, I prefer to be called she. I prefer to be referred to as a woman. You know, and um, I think that's 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 the big thing. It's not just that you believe it. It's just that you would like to take on that role in society. Okay. You feel more comfortable in that role. Do most ch transgendered people go uh, to the to the point where they actually become the gender that they feel that they relate to, like physically, yeah, and, and do that? You go the whole way, okay? I, I obviously, I can't guess. For everyone's different. It's it's a unique challenge for everyone who does who does it. Uh, for me, there are aspects of the surgery that I will do, and there are aspects that I will not do. Um, some people do more than others, uh, but there are some people, you know, we used to call them transsexuals mm -hmm. back in the day, uh, who go all the way, you know, that they, they are, they will take all of the sexual reassignment surgeries and reassign themselves sexually as a, as a female or a male. See, it's so interesting because it's almost like you then have to define what a woman is without looking at her outside. And I think most people fall on a spectrum where... Um, you know, if you're not looking at them physically, most people kind of range the whole spectrum, whether they are sexually male or female, you know, on how you might define them, like if they were just entity, you know, how, yeah. how do you, how do you choose and say, I am a woman or I am a man based on pure entity? You don't choose. I think that's one of the, the big things that a lot of people maybe don't understand is that you're not choosing who you are. You're already that person. Um, it's just you're attempting to sign a, assign a term, you're attempting to, to fall into some sort of uh, definition, which I think is dangerous. Um, 
it's not about who you it's so difficult to actually like be able to go through this and say that and say these things because they're so ill-defined and they're so um amorphous you just you're you, and there's there's no choice. There's no thinking or thought attached to it. It's just you act the way you wish to act. Uh, for me, it was it, you come to a realization though that you as that voice. You come to a realization or you realize to do this, um, and that this is who you are. And I think that is more of a choice. It's not whether you are it or not. You always are. It's just that whether you accept it or not, which I think is very important to do. Because if you don't accept it. It can be very damaging. It can be very hurtful. Um, I've seen it from, from people who definitely are, are, they can't express who they are, and it depresses them, and it hurts them, it hurts those around them. And, and it's not a good thing. It really is not a good thing. I could see that. Now, you are yeah. in such a unique position, uh, and <laughs> there are just so many questions I want to ask. I have lots of. <laughs> I have lots of women on, and one of the questions that I often ask them is, you know, how do you feel uh, as a woman in gaming, where you know you might not be so visible as a lot of uh, guys are, and it's especially if you're in certain genres of gaming. And do you feel that that affects the way people look at you as a gamer if you are a woman? And you have the unique opportunity to have played and worked and kind of lived as a man in gaming and then have a whole different experience now as a woman in gaming, do you feel like there is a difference in how people reacted to you when you were identifying and people were looking at you and, and just identifying you as a man versus now? That's very, that's a very interesting question. Um, in the industry, no. Uh, I think that people have always been very polite and very civil. Um, no, no matter what, you know, uh, they are, I, I have never come across anything bad in the industry. Everyone's been super nice. You know, like everyone's really outgoing, nice, and very understanding, as a matter of fact, uh, no matter who you are. That's my, my opinion so far and the people that I have met and worked with. Um, Community-wise, as a gamer, I think this is more interesting, like before I actually worked as in the industry, um, Yes, things were very different. Very different. When when you're a guy in gaming, it's just you're another guy in gaming. There's nothing special about you. There's nothing unique about you. But when you're a woman in gaming, you're a bit rarer because you're the one saying it out loud, and because of that, people kind of gravitate you, gravitate towards you. I should say, it's a little weird. <laughs> it's a little weird. Like people are like be playing a game as, as a guy and get absolutely no reaction. Be like, you're just another guy, that's cool. You know, hey, you want to go run a dungeon? Sure, whatever. Or be a woman, you know, and, and be acting as a woman, you know, using the, the smileys. I love smileys. <laughs> I use I use kitty smileys. I use all these different smileys that, you know, if you didn't hear my voice and didn't see who I am, it, I sound a lot, lot like a woman, you know. And people would see that and be like, oh, you're a real girl, aren't you? Well, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm female, and they would just, you know, be like, oh, I have some gold, if you need some extra gold, if you need any help, I'll be happy to help you, you know, like, oh, you need dungeon run, we're doing a dungeon run, you know, even if you're not very good, you can come along, you know. <laughs> do you think it's because they feel like you need the help, or do you think it's because they want to mech on you? Both. 
<laughs> definitely both at the same time, which makes it awkward. You know, when you walk in, you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, really? Is this what gold does? Sometimes I've done that. I've walked in and people are like, oh, if you really need help, oh, I don't know what I'm doing here. All of a sudden, just pull the entire room and kill everything. Oh, you know? My God. I just watched. I always watched the what just happened. You know. Well, I'm new to this game. Well, you're really good. Really. <laughs> I did it. I did it a couple times in FPSs where I would act like a complete noob. Which way is walk? Well, how can I walk in this game? And like people get close and they try to like camp me or something like that. And all of a sudden, boom, knife shot. And then like knife right in the head, run past. You know, grab their flag. I did this to one guy really good, where I grabbed his flag because he was trying to glitch out. And I was playing the, you know, I don't know what I'm doing, girl. And uh, he really didn't see it coming. God knifed him in the back, stole his flag, ran. He tried to loop me and go ahead of me and set up an ambush. I ended up looping him, getting behind him, knifing him, knifing him with the flag. And then going back and actually putting um, the flag in. And he got so angry, he rage quit the game. Oh, which wow. was which funny, actually. It's very funny. <laughs> And then of course, of course, no one else in the game liked him. That was the best part. Like everyone else was like, he's he was he was a terrible person. He just wasn't very nice. As his no. good corpse so, lies flagged through the heart. Flagged, flagged through the heart. That was the best part. Just flag. Flag as a man. When you're killing someone with flag, that's a very special time. It's better than the knife. The knife is fun, but killing someone with 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 their own flag. Great moment. That is great. Yeah. <laughs> I see the chat room just said, you run faster with your knife out. It's true. You do. You always do. <laughs> mm. Okay. Uh, let's see. Oh, no. Jerry's here. Oh, God. Jerry just entered the chat room. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Jerry. Hi, Jerry. Oh, court of fan. Look. I've been totally thrown off by the flag through the heart. I just need to recover myself. I'm sorry. No? It, it is, it's so shocking, right? It's such a great story. It is a great story. Okay. Let's talk about talking to friends and family and Massively. I have heard rumors that the way you told the community was through Massively Post. I cannot find this fabled Massively Post to read it. Really? I, I would love to. Um, Tell me about this and how you how you wrote this and what the reaction was. So actually, it's a bit of a misnomer. I actually did. I didn't tell. I told the Massively community through a post, but I also um, did an interview on Gay Pride Day. Uh, because one of my friends, Tammy Baraboo, uh, she was at Metaverse at the time. And now I think she's with PopCap. Uh, she asked me to come to my Metaverse and do a speech on being transgender. So I did. I didn't really think about it either, because it was one of those things, like my Twitter handle said Sarah Peter Brennan. Um, Sarah Brennan was on all my gamer usernames. All my characters were female. Like, it was pretty obvious if you looked. And then, you know, the next day I was like, you know, I really, I probably should come to grips with the fact that if I'm doing this, I'm doing these interviews and stuff, I, I turned to Sean, I said, Sean, I have to write an article about it. Is that, is that cool? And he's like, yeah, you can relate your gaming experiences as being transgender. That, that's fine. Um, so it actually ended up being a bit of a battle because Sean was cool with it. Um, Elizabeth, our, our editor, was also cool about it. But there was a concern amongst the higher-ups, amongst the management, that there might be a damaging effect to my brand if I announced that I was transgender. And it wasn't because of the gender thing. They were afraid to have my name change because um, they felt that everyone knew who Colin Brennan was. 
And because of that, you know, if I, all of a sudden there was a new writer on anti-alias, they would think I was a different person, and they wouldn't want to read it anymore. So I, for a while, I was calling Serafina Brennan, and then I became Serafina Brennan, just straight out. Um, so it was like a, this slow rollover. But I did write the whole article about it and talked about Second Life. I talked about um, rate leading as female and being in games as a female and how it made and how it was a real boon. It was a real big help to um, to to my psyche, I guess. You know, like it 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 made me feel much better about who I was because I couldn't express who I was in reality. But in a virtual world, I could be exactly who I wanted to be. Um, I think so. there's something really therapeutic about the virtual world in that way. And I know myself and, and some other people that I know that have really had opportunities to kind of recreate themselves or rebuild, you know, parts of them that were weaker through interactions virtually, kind of like practicing almost before you go out into real life and, and get more confident in who you are because you don't have to worry about... Um, kind of the scariness of the face-to-face -face interaction or people assuming things about you based on your appearance. Yes, there it is, by the way. We found it for oh. you. <laughs> yes. Here, chat this room. I'm going to copy it for you. Hang on. Yeah. Virtual world is the great equalizer, it's called. There and there's the people from Kaidare. Hello, Kaidare Aiden. That's my role-playing group. They're my second life friends. Very Great nice. role playing group. See, I've tried Life before, but um, I haven't done. Like, I kind of just wandered around and then just dressed up a lot and did like a couple mini games yeah. and earn money right. so I could dress up more. And uh, yeah, you know, hung out in the RP area where I was like, you know, dressing in medieval clothing and stuff. But I don't know. Is it just is it just for the community there? Because I couldn't figure out some of the stuff, like how to talk to people or you know how to build like something creative. What what is the draw for Second Life that because it's, it's an older game. It's been going for a long time. It's been going for a very long time. I, I think I'm six years old. I think my character is six years old in Second Life. Um, it's not a... As, they, as Linden Labs keeps saying, it's not a game. And I think that's the best thing you could possibly do. You can't look at it as it being a game. It is a service. It is a platform. There are good areas of Second Life. There are bad areas of Second Life. It's like the internet. Um, but most importantly, I think the one thing I always tell all Second Life newbies is that when you get online... Go to somewhere you feel that you would fit into. Go find things. Don't just like wander around. That's a bad way to be introduced to Second Life. Find something you're interested in. Go there, and then talk with people there. In in my in, in my personal experiences, when I say to myself, "Hey, I want to find a Prison Life Town Kaida Braden," by saying to myself, "I want a freeform medieval role-playing community where I can play a wide variety of races." And I searched for a while, and I found that Kyder Braden was a very good uh, role-playing community with great people and flexible rules. And I ended up staying there and just being a player, and ended up rising to the rank of Vampire Queen, which, I'm, which makes me part of the, the mentor staff there. And I help out new players. Um, and that that is, it's a community. It, it really is the community and the people who build and are very passionate about it that make it such a great place. You have to find your niche and your clique of people. I mean, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be using Second Life right now at all. Um, that's all I go to. I log on Second Life, I play Kite Air. That's it. You know? <laughs> I'm not a grid hopper. I don't wander around to different stores and things like that. I do my one thing. And that's what I've done for many years, as a matter of fact. I always do my one thing that I always like doing. And that's it. 
So it, it's more of a browser than it is a, uh, a game, I guess I should say. Okay. See, so I could see that. It's like going over to a friend's house and hanging out. Yeah. The last time I went to Second Life, I ended up in some place where someone was yelling at me that I was a slave and I wasn't supposed to talk. And I said, okay, I'm done. You were in a Gorbian sim. Oh. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> wear this outfit and be a slave. And I was like, yep. I, they have trapping rules there where you think making your slave. You have to watch where you walk sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I got kicked out of a furry sim one time because I was wearing angel wings. Uh, they were like, no angels. And I was like, what? And then they just booted me. Oh. If they don't like the angels, they don't deserve you. I guess. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about your move to Turbine from Massively. What kind of uh, change was that, and what prompted you to move into the, the community service area? I was always interested in community management. I think that was something that I really, really loved. I really loved working with people and talking with people and, and generally helping out. I think that's my big thing. I love helping others. Um, so when I got to be senior editor, I'm not sure if you saw it, but I was also community manager at the same time. And that was a self-made title. I basically said, look, developers and publishers and you know, our press contacts have told us that we are a great site, but that our community is almost rowdy and wild and they can do whatever they want. They, they need guidance. They need a bit of control. And at the same time, we can do really good things where we can reach out with them and do fun things with them. And Sean, our editor and editor-in-chief, just looks at me and he goes, sure, if you want to do it, go for it. And I did. <laughs> <laughs> so I walked right in and I started you know, using our Twitter feed differently. I started changing up our Facebook and I created a Steam community. I launched our live streaming service, Massively TV. And these were all attempts to better interact with our, our readers through our everyday stories. So not just anti-alias, it was everywhere on the site. I was encouraging this. And... And that's when I realized I really liked community management, and I really wanted to do it professionally, um, not just game writing, because I was doing game writing for uh, the, the, the Nethernet and CCP. Um, I wanted to go and do it in a larger scale. So I started applying to all these different places, and of course I heard back nothing every single time. I applied to Blizzard, I applied to um, you know, uh, Sony, I applied to just a wide, wide variety of places, a lot of indie places too. Uh, serious Business was one of them. Uh, I think probably PopCap at one point, too, uh, EA. But all I, I never got callbacks. I never got a single callback. And I'm assuming because I had no provable experience in the game industry and no one wanted to talk with me. Hmm. So I ended up meeting at PAX East uh, 2010 a wonderful woman by the name of Megan Rodberg at the time, now Megan Jenks, who everyone knows is Patience from Lord of the Rings Online. And we talked at the Turbine booth for a while, and she and me as a fledgling community manager who was also in the community managers group, um, which is like a secret cabal of community managers. <laughs> I should have said it. I should have talked. Oh, no. First rule of like community managers. Yes. Um, and after speaking with her and getting to know her a bit better, um, I was just online the community managers group one day, and I saw she mentioned that Turbine was hiring. And I was like, no, that's cool. I said to her, well, I'm going to apply then. Why not? She said, good luck. So I threw in my application, I, I did what I could, and I wasn't really thinking anything of it, to be honest. I had thrown so many applications at, at this point. While I wanted a job, I kind of also knew that I wasn't going to get one anytime soon. So instead, I just basically chilled. I didn't even think about it until all of a sudden I got a call back from Turbine, and it blew my mind. <laughs> 
I couldn't play that the way I wanted me to do a second interview. And I went to Megan. I said, Megan, I'm really nervous about the second interview. Who do you know who it's with? Um, you know, who's the manager of the community management team? And she goes, You're gonna be interviewing with me, and I'm your manager. Oh. And I was like, Oh. Well, this will be good then. So, <laughs> so we did the interview. I thought I did terribly. Apparently, I didn't. And they flew me out again. I thought I did terribly at the the, the personal interview, and I got a job with Turbine all of a sudden, just like that. I couldn't believe it. I thought if any place I would be at, it would be a small um, indie place starting off, and I would get my learn my chops there. I didn't think I'd be learning how to do professional community management at turbine warner brothers you know <laughs> right. working with ashton's call and dungeons and dragons and lord of the rings online like i i was ecstatic i i i'm still ecstatic i still walk into the door every once in a while because we have the logo on the door and i stare for a while i'm like i really work here that's that's crazy <laughs> i just walk inside you know and go go to work that's the perfect job though you want to feel that way when you walk into yes. the building Yes, absolutely. All the time. And it's every day is just always, I've never had a bad day at Turbine. Even when I have bad days, I never have a bad day. You know, it's always a great, great time. <laughs> it just is fascinating. Every single day is fascinating. Turbine has a different structure uh, mm -hmm. than some companies. Can you explain to the listeners what a community specialist is and what your general uh, things that you do are? Mm -hmm. So I'm a community specialist. That means I assist with... Um, or various games. In my case, I assist primarily with Lord of the Rings Online. But I appear in other places, and I help out as much as I can with other titles as well. Uh, so we're like a global community team, and we are on our online titles, and we're on some of our single player titles. We're all over the place, in, basically. <laughs> I understand you're working on a secret role-playing game that you will tell me nothing about, but yet I'm going to ask about. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Of course you don't. We are devoted to Lord of the Rings Online, Dungeons and Dragons Online, and of course, you know, Ashton's Call as well. Ashton's Call is still running after 11 years. That's a long time. You know, yes. It's amazing. It's amazing. The players are still completely, you know, psyched and, and uh, still really, really passionate about Ashton's Call. We're still doing a lot of neat changes to the game, too. I did not realize that Turbine does videos for YouTube where you can kind of watch the behind-the-scenes yeah. dev things and see the bits that are coming out. I, I told you I just watched the huge video on War Horses today, and I'm really, really excited. Yay! So, what do you know what the URL of that is? So I can link it in the chat room. Uh, it's franchise-specific, so it's either youtube.com slash Lord of the Rings or uh, Jerry. I think Jerry can help me out with the Dungeons & Dragons page. I think it's youtube.com slash Dungeons & Slash DDO. We'll find out in a minute when Jerry actually does that. I had the opportunity to meet Sarah and Jerry and Tolero for lunch, which was like really rushed, and I was really wanting to spend more time talking to you guys, but we only had about 40 minutes, and yeah. <laughs> I had to tell Jerry a lot of stuff. Need a meeting. Yeah. Yep. So, oh, there it is. It's youtube.com slash dungeons and dragons. Oh, there you go. Jerry so, has linked it. AMD. Yeah. That's what I thought it was, but I didn't want to say it. Um, yes. Was Tolero. Uh, filming one of those documentaries that day or one of those behind the scenes thing for for YouTube because I had wondered uh, She does community updates, but she was also in the behind the scenes as well ah. And I saw you were on some as well, which is neat. Yep. Yep Okay Let's see so talking about Lord of the Rings online in a general way or just Lord of the Rings specifically 
how do you feel about the movies? And is there any like feeling from Turbine about the movies? Because I always wonder if the visuals in the movies that came out uh, actually are something that inspires the game, or if they're totally separate things. Well, they're totally separate things because we have the book license. Very important. Uh, okay. Um, we are. You know, we, we use the, the book license from Saul's hands, not the movie license. But at the same time, we're still pulling our source material from the same place. Hence, right. you know, Gandalf is still and wearing his big hat in both, thing, in both things, you know. And, you know, everyone still looks a certain way. Legola still works a certain way. That's it's pretty much how that comes about. <laughs> that makes sense. Yes. So let's move to your experiences with role-playing games and tabletop. How did you get into that? And is this something you played as a child? Yes. As a matter of fact, um, I actually got into Dungeons and Dragons because I played a game called Dragon Strike, which was TSR's first attempt at like a board, bridging a board game with Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, they had a bit more board board game and casual mechanics with the Dungeons and Dragons feel. Like you had statistics and you had dice throws and damage values, um, and it was basically the quote unquote gateway drug into. Um, into Dungeons and Dragons. That was the idea of it. Uh, so that's how I started getting really into it, because I played Dragon Strike a lot with my friends. We thought it was a great game, and inside of it was this um, this this advertisement for this game called Dungeons and Dragons. And I got excited at the time I wanted to play it. It looked like a more advanced version of Dragon Strike with more rules and more control over your characters. Mm-hmm. And, and my friends and I were really all for it. So we went out and bought a whole bunch of Dungeons and Dragons books. What edition was uh, it? We, we were in second. We were in advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. So it wasn't the Red Box or anything like that. It was Forgotten Realms was out at that point. Planescape was big at the time. Um, Red Steel, Dark Sun were oh, all okay. possible campaigns. Uh, but we were big on creating our own homebrew campaigns. We played in the Forgotten Realms setting. Uh, but of course, my parents being my parents... Uh, apparently, at my mom's school, a woman came in for an in-service, and she preached about the horrors of Dungeons and Dragons, and how she lost her child to suicide from Dungeons and Dragons, and how this is a terrible game, and no one should, in their right mind should ever play it. And then, of course, my mom comes home, being a school teacher, you know, the, she's an English school teacher, she comes home, says, what are you doing? I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, no, you're not. <laughs> You know, <laughs> right out, right out. You know, I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons. I'm playing that that game of witchcraft. You're not going to be a mage, and you're not going to do all these, you know, these crazy, crazy things. She didn't understand what the game was. And <laughs> you're playing the hell module, then. <laughs> yeah, I played the hell module. Or, no, sorry, if I really wanted to hurt myself, I should play something like, you know, uh, oh my God, the Tomb of Horrors. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Tomb of Horrors. It's a great, it's a great module. Everyone will, will love doing that. Yeah, it's a, it's a uh, fun time. Fun time. So I basically had to sit down and talk with my mom because she had a lot of questions about what this game was. And she didn't want to listen for a while. She didn't want to actually, you know, let me play it. And then she started listening. And she one night just sat me down and said, tell me everything about Dungeons and Dragons. Go. And I did. And when I got done, she looked at me and she went, so you're telling a story? And I went, yeah, I guess, I guess it's like telling a story. 
but there's rules and there's there's damage values and things like that. She's like, but no, 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 you're sitting with your friends in a basement and you're telling a story. You're doing collective storytelling. <laughs> she's an English teacher. Oh my. She's God. an English teacher. You know, like and she and she's like, this is like you know, like the verbal tradition. And I was like, what the verbal tradition? I, you know, and she tells me about collective storytelling and things like Mom, that. Mom, I'm a bard. Okay, I just it's secret. Uh, <laughs> secret part. <laughs> And she thought that this was an amazing, amazing thing. She's like, I couldn't, I could, she couldn't believe it. She's like, you're learning math, you're doing statistics, you know, you have probabilities, uh, you're learning English, you're telling stories. Why would I stop you from doing this? Go do it. Go do it more. You know, Aww, that's awesome. <laughs> she thought that she thought it was great. She got me. She helped me out with books and stuff. And uh, she was totally, totally behind me uh, for my Dungeons and Dragons playing, and that's how I got into Dungeons and Dragons. I played with my friends in a basement eating Cheetos, <laughs> and that was the sad part. That video ended up coming out from somewhere when we first saw the Dead Ale Wives video, and they had the Where the Cheetos in the Mountain Dew, and that was literally my group. We were the ones in the basement eating the Cheetos in Mountain Dew sometimes. <laughs> We would be playing on a pool table, you know, with green felt, and we we had gotten Warhammer too, so we had uh, miniatures, we had scenery. We used to make maps like that and actually play like half Warhammer, half Dungeons and Dragons. It was a lot of fun. You do have to wonder, lot. like the majority of geek guys that are like sixteen to eighteen have glasses from staring really closely at small figures, and they're really thin from eating Cheetos and pizza. In the yeah, <laughs> you know, interesting. You know, we stay for <laughs> it's a great culture. I love that culture. <laughs> but the only book she actually took away from me from role playing, she got very angry about with me about this. And it's funny in hindsight, Vampire the Masquerade. She did not like Vampire the Masquerade. Really? I like all. the game, the the role play computer game. Oh, the role play computer game is really good. The game itself is very good. It's just it was too adult for my age, uh... and that's what she didn't like. She didn't like the fact that I could open this book and have this half-naked woman so shoving a stake into another <laughs> half-naked woman. Didn't like that. The she didn't like that at all. Idiot. It basically was, kind of. <laughs> so she took the book away. She hid it from me. She put it behind the, the couch. Very clever and crafty place. Which you never found, clearly. Never, ever found and took back, and she didn't even realize it. Then, of course, you know, combine this with the fact that later I write for CCP and, you know, CCP White Wolf. <laughs> and I mentioned this to her, like, I work for CCP, yeah, I'm working for CCP. Who's that? Oh, they make this video game called EVE Online, and they merge with this, with this other company called White Wolf. Well, who are they? They made this game called Vampire the Masquerade. And I hear this, like, long silence. And <laughs> she's like, I'm sorry I took that book away from you. Oh. Well, you told her it's her fault for not cleaning the couch. That's why she didn't know that you took it. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. <laughs> this brings us to Avarice, the role-playing game. I read a post Avarice on Industries, this. actually. Avarice Industries, yes. Avarice Industries. Yes. I read a post on this in April when I was uh, going through, let me get the name right here, something curves, what is it? Experience, Experience Curve. Cur Experience yes. Curve. And when I read this, I thought you were joking. Like, I thought it was a really sarcastic <laughs> A take on your work day and you're like look you win a pink slip and you're going on about uh, basic stuff yes. that could happen in this and I thought wow that is a really creative way to say my day sucked and then I realized this is a fully formed role-playing game that you're working on so explain yes. to the but that but that post was just a very silly post it wasn't actually the real role-playing game I was just being silly that day I was uh. just being terrible so I was teasing people and saying to them I was going to release the rules and the ideas behind it soon. And that's the way I released it with this absolutely awful 
module that I thought was terrible. But apparently it's creative. That's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, explain the fully formed role-playing game and uh, the, the interesting concept about the companies vying for for the builds so, they can make. for power. Yes. So the overall point of the game is that you play for one of five different corporations, and uh, each corporation has a different specific background. Like one does biotechnology, one does nanotechnology, one does creative endeavors, the other one is a military, um, like defense contractor, and the last one is machinery and construction. Um, all five of them have a very unique specific power. Uh, they have machines called dream generators that allow them to create literally anything in their imaginations. Uh, if they want to think of a dinosaur and create a dinosaur, they can do that. If they want to create guns that shoot holes in the space-time continuum, they can do that. Um, it just takes a lot of money and time to create these things. So they have to continue doing their business, their everyday business. But at the same time, they want to use like loopholes. They want to use tricks. So they try and steal from each other, they try and one-up each other, even though they're in very different fields. They're always at each other's throats because they all want to know more about what dream technology can do um, than the other competitors, unless they lose their leg up in the market. Uh, so you get to play as one of these special people called a special executive. They report directly to the CEO or the founder of the company, and they are tasked with keeping the company's secrets safe keeping the workers safe and making sure that whatever the company does does not end up on the five o'clock news. Um, to do this, they are given any item or things they want out of the dream generator. If they, you know, if they need guns, weaponry, whatever, there are no questions asked, they can get it. But the company just asks for discretion and they ask for efficiency. That's it. So the point of the game is for you to play, to do the bidding of your company uh, without getting caught or getting your company in trouble any way you want. <laughs> so if you want to kill a lot of people, go right ahead. Just make sure you don't get caught while doing it, you know? Mm. Uh, if you are caught, what is your penalty? It depends on what the game master wants to assign your penalty. Maybe you're fired. You know, maybe the company um, lays you off and you're never heard from again. You know, maybe you lose money. Uh, you should get money. Money is our experience system in the game. Uh, as you earn money, you can spend it on your character's progression. Uh, but you can lose money, too, if the, if the game master wants you to lose money. Uh, so it, it's usually the way it goes is basically people try not to die. You only have five hit points, um, uh. and it, most of the weapons do like three or four damage, so you can die very, very fast and in very spectacular ways. We've had people <laughs> get their heads chopped off, you know, guns blown through their stomachs, you know. Uh, we've even had a couple people fall through space-time, the, the space-time continuum, or accidentally. But are there velociraptors? That's what I need to know. Yes. There are. Okay. There can be velociraptors. If you want... That's the big thing about our system. You can create whatever you want. That We have rules for that. Uh, so if you want velociraptors, go right ahead. Create velociraptors. You can create different types of velociraptors. Maybe you want a velociraptor that follows you around. You can create one of those as a familiar, and he's like your pet. Or maybe you want to have a gun that shoots velociraptors, and when they pop out, they turn into pets, and then they attack whatever's there and then die. You know, you could do all, you could do all these different things with our with our uh, dream generation rules, as we call them. So, hmm. Yeah, it's, it's whatever. It's a storytelling game focused on whatever you want to do. Flexibility is, is a big thing. 
Um, all of our executives are powered on, we call them the seven virtues of industry. <laughs> they are in fact the seven deadly sins um, of wrath, sloth, greed, gluttony, lust, and pride, and envy. Um, each stat, each each um, sin falling into a different type of stat. So wrath is like your, your physical um, stat. It's, it's a very forceful, willful stat that you could use for interrogations, or you could use it to break down walls, you know, uh, intimidation, anything like that. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas, like, lust, lust is our wild card stat. It's luck, pure, unadulterated luck. If it doesn't fit in, into any other category, it fits into lust. Uh, and you combine these, these, you always combine two statistics together, and you can get any skill check you want out of it. That's what makes the game so flexible. Uh, it's not just locking characters into um, things they can and cannot do. It's locking characters into personality roles, and which I find to be much more interesting. So if the angry guy, who's a big burly beefcake, wants to go search an apartment, he's not going to suck at it. He, what he can do is he can actually say, I'm going to walk into the apartment, and I rip it apart with my bare hands, and I'm going to find what I want. Um, he can totally do that by using his wrath stat, which is probably a really good stat for him, with his envy stat, which is his perception, um, which would be a physical, angry search. Mm -hmm. But, of course, even if he does get a really good role and finds what he's looking for, he's still ripping the apartment apart, you know, like, right. he's still going to be very noticeable. So maybe the GM is like, well, the executive whose apartment you just destroyed kind of figured out who did it, and now he's gunning for your head, you know. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's the way the story can twist and turn. It's, it's more focused less on success and more on consequence, which I think is much more interesting and fun for players to do, especially players who are storytellers. I like that because then you don't constantly fail at you know something you might be interested in doing with your character. You just have to find a creative way to execute it and pay for it later. Yep. yep. If you even do really bizarre things. Um, there are two different very neat systems in our game. Uh, one's called uh, tilting the dice, or it's using your motivation. Like We have this belief in our game that executives themselves can end fate because they're so... They, they want to get the job done for their company so badly that when they want to do it, it will get done. There so they no spend spoon. points called... Was that? There's no spoon. Yes, there isn't absolutely no spoon. So if they want to jump across buildings, go for it. You know, it might be really, really hard, but you might have to spend a lot of motivation to do it. But maybe you can do it, you know. Just put your mind to it. So you spend motivation points in one of two ways. Either you spend them on your, your traits, which are like your special powers, uh, which could be like telekinesis, or there could be, um, you know, simple sheer luck of the draw. There's a really cool one we'll get to that maybe I'll talk about later, which, which is totally luck-based. Um, or you spend them by tilting, tilting our dice. Uh, after you roll your d8s and you look at your roll, you might think, oh, this is a shitty roll. I'm, you know, because of this one shitty roll, I'm about to lose the entire mission for everybody because I failed to not get shot in the head, you know? Uh, what you can do is you can spend your motivation, tilt the dice either up or down. This is important because some abilities let you, when, they, when you match dice, you get more successes. Um, so if you have a 5, which is a failure, you can spend one motivation point and turn it to a 6. And now it's a success all of a sudden. If you have a 7 and you want to get an 8, which gets you two successes, you can tilt it up to an 8. Oh. Uh, that gives the players more control over how they are deciding to win and succeed. Just at one same time? time just a one time. Yeah, it's one It's one for one. So you can start off with 10 motivation, you have it for the session, um, use it wisely. 
the way you can get back motivation is by entertaining your GM. If you're doing funny things, you're doing cool things. If everyone thinks that you're a good storyteller, your GM will actually give you motivation back. So the more cool stuff you do, the more cool stuff you can do in return. It's a self-realizing prophecy, basically. The Kickstarter seemed very successful and uh, well be above and beyond what you asked for. So yes. when can we expect the... I know you can play it now, but when can we expect the full thing to to be available, the books, and, and where can people find that? Yep. So uh, the book will be available online when it's ready to go. Um, we're targeting a $15 price point, which I think is absolutely great for a book that's probably going to end up being around 150 pages and is all color and uh, col full color art. You know, that's pretty outstanding, in my opinion, for a book like this. Uh, but it will be, I think I'm targeting probably not this month, but at least by the end of next month, we will be fully done the book. It will be fully written and ready to go. And it will be available on drivethroughrpg.com. That's my intent. Okay. Well, congratulations. That's a pretty neat experience to, to build yeah. something yourself and see it come to publishing. Uh, it, it was, first of all, like, to go on Kickstarter and hope to God that we got $2,000 to, to publish. That's why I, I said the bare minimum, $2,000 to finish our, our art. And then to six hours later find that I have surpassed the $2,000 mark in six <laughs> hours made me go, what the heck just happened? <laughs> Feel the love. Oh, you know, like maybe I need to get stretch goals together. I need to think about this. Oh my God, what, do, what have I done? I wasn't expecting success. I was not in the least expe expecting success. And this was back when, you know, Kickstarter was just becoming a thing. When, uh, well, fine was just doing the Kickstarter. So uh, to hit 7,000 at the end of a you know, a 30-day run with no prior RPG experience, no prior published games in the, in the RPG sector, I was out. Just my, my mind blow. Just gone. <laughs> I, I, I can't thank my Kickstarter backers enough. I still can't thank them enough. I think I say that in every other post, even though I promised the book back in midsummer, and unfortunately due to work and due to a whole bunch of different things that happened in my life, it got delayed and delayed and delayed, and I feel terrible about that. I feel absolutely... Honest to God, awful about that. <laughs> so, I'm trying to get it done as fast as I can with what time I have. It's pretty much if I'm not working at Turbine, I'm working on Avarice. So, busy, busy, busy. Okay. Well, let's take some questions from the chat room. I'm going to give you guys a few minutes to, to think of what you'd like to say and see if anyone wants to ask you any questions. Um, while they are doing that, is there anything you would like to say, because we're getting close to closing here? No, but besides, thank you for inviting me on your show and trusting me to talk in front of a whole bunch of your audience. You know? <laughs> You're welcome. I'm glad we got a chance to visit because, like I yeah. said, I felt like it was like a speed, a speed moment where I was just like really excited to meet all the people from Turbine, and then boom, it was gone. <laughs> I didn't get a yeah. chance to really get to meet you. Actually, no, we, were, we were barely together. I, I know. mean, we we just we sat down and went, "Hey, it's nice to see you." Okay, bye. We we meet. <laughs> bye bye. I know. But uh, thank you for the so really nice swag we got. Yeah. And where we were going, and I opened the bag, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, sweatshirts and wow, it's a capes!" Swag, yeah. You know. I see, I see your shirt behind you. Your sweatshirt. Oh, yeah, it's hiding right back there. <laughs> <laughs> One of my role-playing characters is actually hanging on the wall, right, right above her, right above it too. So oh. it's the fun wall. <laughs> okay, well, chat room, you guys are chat so involved talking about monks and drinking and tuberculosis. Sis. I don't even know. Do you have any questions? Because 
they're always a, a delay behind us. So I'm always giving them a chance to try to catch up. Right, right, right. Don't right, have any. I'm gonna just end it then. I have, a, I have a question. What, what did you think of the steampunk diner we took you to? I thought that was really neat. Right. Yeah, the yeah. food was good too. Uh, for everyone, maybe who was in the Massachusetts area, there's a steampunk diner in Newton called uh, the Deluxe, Sta- Deluxe Station Diner. And it's an amazing place. It's it's legitimately steampunk. And it's good food. It was. So, I have one of my friend, my artist friends, is in the channel, and he would like to... Did you draw that, the picture on the wall, or was it from the artist who did your book? That's one from one of my artists. She's actually going to be doing the Tooth and Claw expansion for Avarice. Can you see it? He's like, I want to see it. I'm not making you get up. You might not have pants on. You know how we are with our... No, I actually do have pants on. I legitimately have pants on. Did I see if you want to see it? Make sure I don't like knock everything off on my desk. I'm looking too far away. There we go. So, this is from one of my friends. Let's see if I can move out oh, a little like the bit. Heart Thank you. Her name is uh, Aria, Aria Highblade. She is a... Her, she's a robot. She's a literal robot, and her sword comes out of her arm. <laughs> so it's detachable, and then she's a regular hand or a sword, or it's always a sword? It actually flips. So like the, the when it's a sword, it's sticking out, but then it can flip back in her arm, and then the arm, and the hand actually flips out from behind it. Ah. So she can rotate it like, like a Swiss Army knife, basically. Um, she was actually made for a, a friend's personal setting, um, which I thought was an amazing, amazing original setting that he wants to do a game in eventually. So I won't spoil the surprise, but it was awesome. <laughs> Cylons, no Cylons. Like how we mentioned Steampunk Diner, and everyone's like, Steampunk Diner, oh story. my god! <laughs> Is it made with Victorian tech? Well, technically. No. All right. So it doesn't look like they have any pressing questions. Although, actually, I did. I had a question on Twitter, and I have to find it now. Something oh. about the monk. I wonder what it was. Monk. Me, yeah, the monk class, and I don't know why. I don't. Jerry just left. Okay. Like, well, then I'm, Jerry would have been the man for the monk class. Monks are fun. I like monks. See, I I have not played a monk before, and the one time I actually played Dungeons and Dragons online, I played a monk, and then I tried to arm him with things, and it really failed. So I. I it doesn't work. No, <laughs> I couldn't understand that, so I didn't do it. Oh, they would like to know how you came up with your name, Serafina. Oh, that's actually a really good question, as a matter of fact. Um, quite personal, as a matter of fact. I, 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 it, it basically, it was one of those things I always... I like angels, very obviously. Um, but deeply, I'm not a deeply religious person, but I'm a spiritual person. And I thought the Seraphim are a very neat, you know, angelic race. Um, I have a lot of respect for them. And I just felt that Serafina would be a very beautiful, nice name. I, I saw it was an actual name. I just searched the internet and saw Serafina, and it just kind of worked. I liked it. Um, and I took it and started naming characters after that. One of my characters in Avarice was just named Serafina, and I had to rename her for the published version of the game because uh, I didn't want to seem like it was my personal insert character. Because it was. <laughs> <laughs> Now everyone knows. Now everyone knows that Sarah Angela Wildfire. It's still it's still quite obvious. Her name's Sarah Angela Wildfire. It's it's still uh, very very cool. Um, so yeah, I, I told my mom that I was going to be naming myself Serafina, and she looked at me and she went, "No, terrible name. Not a real name." 
<laughs> she didn't like it. She didn't not think a it was real, a real name. Thing. Not a real name. And I told her it really is a real name. I can prove it. There was a saint named Saint Seraphina. She's like, I don't believe you. So I had to go on the internet Wikipedia. and prove that there was there there was a saint named Saint Seraphina. Very sad story too. She she died. She couldn't move. She had a, a disease where her um, the joints, like the lubrication between her joints, wasn't there. So whenever she moved her bone, it was just bone grinding on bone. Oh. Yeah, she died at eighteen. But when she passed away, apparently the board she was laying on, she only could lay on a board, stiff, she couldn't move. Um, when she passed away, flowers actually grew up around her on the board with her. Aww. So the legend says. That's why she became a saint. Yep. That's one of the reasons she became a saint. Um, healing powers after her death as well. Um, yes. Uh, there's James Bond asking about a new Avarice arc. <laughs> <laughs> So, I guess to answer that question, um, Avarice Industries used to be Wildfire Industries, which was an alternate reality game that I used to write. And that's where I got most of my game design experience from, was alternate reality games. Um, which are fun. It's a fun way to tell a story through multiple mediums, and you get to tell the story like it's, as if it's really happening. Like, players are actually characters in the world, and they're just themselves. So when you uh, say alternate reality, you mean like time streams where th this is how it is, but something's changed, someone didn't die, someone did. Is that what you mean by alternate no, reality? Um, no, it's different perspective on alternate reality. I guess to talk about alternate reality uh, game, it's really complicated. It's, it's really neat, esoteric concept, but it's that the reality you're in right now, like us together right now, would be where the game is being played. As It's like the, the game... The thing everyone says when they're playing an alternate reality game is this is not a game, that this is really happening. And this is like a conspiracy theory. Like, oh my god, you know, you are now the main character in this giant global conspiracy that no one else knows about but you, you know? And the game treats itself as though it's real. So, oh. It's, yeah. I have people this that actually believe that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know people that actually believe that. They're not playing. There, there would be... Um, there was the original one of the original first alternate reality games was called The Beast. That actually came out. Remember the movie Artificial Intelligence? Mm hmm Yeah, I like uh, that. It's a good movie, right? And it was really sad with David. I cried, yeah. Yeah, I cried too. Uh, if you looked on the back of some of the posters, there was actually um, a question on them. It was it was had to do with a murder. And if you looked in the credits, one of the credits was of a woman who was like a artificial intelligence builder. Like, it was something ridiculous. Like, I can't remember exactly what it was. Um, but it was like, it, it, it obviously couldn't exist. So people started digging for this woman on Google, and they found real hits. They found websites that mentioned her and her work, and the websites had passwords on them. And if you looked at certain websites, there were puzzles. If you solved the puzzles, you got the passwords. And you could hack and slowly find more and more about this woman. Um, and this whole plot that happened and all the characters and it was this whole game and whole story that was taking place online across about 50 different websites were hidden and part of the beast as it was called. If I even got went to phones, there was a barcode on one of the uh, advertisements for artificial intelligence in New York. And if you looked at the barcode and decoded it, it actually had a phone number. If you called it, you got the company she worked for. 
Do you like The Secret World? Because this is very much like that. (laughs) The Secret World actually came out from Alternate Reality Gaming. When Ah. The Secret World was first released, it wasn't announced as a game, it was announced as an Alternate Reality game. And it was like, it was called Dark Days Are Coming. I remember it seeing it uh, six years ago. Oh my god, six years ago. It doesn't seem like it. And we were all playing it, and there was like this big Cthulhu based, you know, like this esoteric mythology based game. And I played most of it, and all of a sudden at the end, you realized that there was more to this, that there's a wider universe going on here. And then they revealed, surprise, it's going to be a video game. It's going to be a, a massively multiplayer game. And everyone kind of flipped out. I'm like, what? Oh my goodness. Oh my god. If they can do like a, a an alternate reality game inside of a massively multiplayer game, this will be the best game ever. I still love The Secret World. I am a lifetime member of The Secret World. Mm-hmm. That's how much of it. I think you're all training to be secret spies because it requires a lot of, of attention to detail and interest in following up small things and putting puzzles together. And yep. definitely a certain, a certain genre of people that are interested and really, really that appeals to what I could see. Yeah. Not for everyone. It's not for everyone. It's hard. It's very difficult. There are some really nasty puzzles. And most of the puzzles nowadays are written towards crowd solving. So you need to get a whole community of people together to use all their skills and talents, um, you know, that uh, when you put them all together, the people can solve these amazing, fantastically difficult puzzles that they couldn't solve on their own. Um, but to answer James's question, maybe. Maybe there will be another alternate reality game for Wildfire Industries. Maybe not. I don't know. Do you see uh, this Cyrus's question? Uh, he asks, being in an alternate reality, do you find con- conspiracy theories compelling, or do you worry about falling into these as psychological traps? I find them interesting to read. I find them interesting. I don't find them. I don't think I. I'm not the type of person who goes, "Oh yeah, that happened," or you know, "Why do you want these conspiracy theories? These well hat things." Um, I don't understand the question, but like, if I would fall into them as psychological traps, or if other people would, um, no, I I don't. Um, I wouldn't fall into those as as like a trap. Uh, but maybe for other. people, well, I, I would worry that possibly they could, and that kind of scares me that the other people could be tricked or duped into falling into some of these things. People do get very attached to, they do. you know, gaming and, and really take it sometimes beyond the, mm-hmm. <laughs> the internet. So I could see that. Mm-hmm. Okay, now that's a big concern. Yeah. Zavi one asks Sarah, "What pup? What pushed you to the idea of making Avarice public? And I know you touched on its creation, but what made you decide it would work as a game?" Another really good question. Um, it worked as a game. It worked as a story first, and I had it planned as a tragedy, a three-part tragedy. Um, it seemed interesting. I was writing it off and on in my spare time, but I really didn't want it to be just a novel. I wanted it to be something more interactive and something more touchable for other people, something people could really get into. Because I liked the world a lot. I thought it was a neat world and a neat setting. So it actually at first I didn't think it would work as a game. I tried my damnedest to make it work as a game. But I couldn't get a click. I couldn't get this this one thing that would make it awesome. So what it was originally was five companies being the crap out of each other. And that was it. There was, there was nothing else. It was just five companies beating the crap out of each other, and it didn't really make sense. It was trying to be conspiracy. It was trying to be, um, you know, like modern modern epic, and nothing was really clicking until one day I was driving home, and 
I said to myself, well, it would be really cool if I could do it in Everest. And all of a sudden it was, well, why can't the companies make whatever they want? That was the question I asked myself. Like, what would the companies make? So that was my one problem. Like, you have all these companies that do these very different things. Why are they fighting each other? Like, why are they, um, why are, why are they in the same market? They're all doing very different things. And the answer was because they all have the same technology and they all want to one up one another. But what's that? What is that technology? What are they all working on? The power to create anything. That's like a godly power. That is an insane power to have and give it to mortals. Because what are they going to do? They're going to abuse it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're going to do what everyone does. They're going to try and ruin everybody else so they can get everything for themselves. And all of a sudden I was like, that works. That would be a great fun thing to do. And if I gave that to players, they would be able to do whatever they want with it. That sounds like a lot of fun all of a sudden. You know, that sounds like a fun game, not just a fun book to read, but a fun game to play. And that is when I decided that it should be a pen and paper role-playing game. Before that, it was an alternate reality game, and that was it. It was a story. It was not an interactive experience. Now it's interactive. What makes you decide to, to create a game versus to write a novel or you know, a short story? depends on how it for me it comes down to how you want to tell your story Um, because there really are two different functions of storytelling one's more open-ended and it's for everybody to use and do whatever they want with it's more of a setting and experience versus the other which is a very controlled experience where you are sitting down and you're giving them what happens and it's more like a movie or, you know, it's a book. It, it's a controlled, limited experience that you can only get into so far. You can't answer the questions in it if there are any. Uh, you have, you're being led around by the storyteller. I think that's what the difference is for me. What do I want to do overall as an artist, as a creative individual? And for some things, I think that I don't want to let them go. I would rather they be in my control. And I, will, I gladly handhold you through my world. But I don't think that you should run around and frolic in it because I don't think that's appropriate for whatever setting it is or whatever story I'm trying to tell you. However, if it's a big open experience and I want you to frolic and I want you to see all these different things and I want you to make your own things and I want you to to interact and get on a deep level with what I'm trying to show you and tell you, I think that is what leads me to create sometimes games over stories. you know, Everett still has a point to it. There's still a storyline that I'm trying to tell people through it, and that can be whatever they want it to be. I know what I, I know. What I think it is, but I know other people are going to probably interpret it much differently in, in, in their own ways. Or do, they won't interpret it at all. They'll just have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, like giving cool. people a framework to create their own, you know, ideas. Yep, yep. exactly. And then just and just let them let them go. Okay, a reminder that the Gray Area Podcast is entirely funded by listener support, and if you would like to help do that, you can go to Genesee.com, and there are very happy colored buttons. And a big thank you to Serafina, and you can find her on Twitter Twitter at Sarah underscore Brennan, and Sarah spelled S-E-R-A. Yep. And are there any other sites that you would like people to visit that you are writing on or that you have YouTube on or anything like that? Oh, I think they should totally visit you know, www.avariceindustries.com uh-huh. if they want to learn more about Avarice Industries. Um, they can totally visit uh, lotro.com, of course, for Lord of the Rings Online, or Dungeons and Dragons at ddo.com. Both very fun and very cool games. 
Uh, and finally, if, if you like Second Life role-playing, uh, Tidair, C-A-D-A-I-R dot Ning, N-I-N-G dot com for Tidair Brighton. It also role-playing then. Excellent. If you'd like to leave some feedback or keep up with the news, you can find me on Twitter at Gray Area Podcast, at Facebook slash Gray Area Podcast, or on iTunes. And if you have any gray areas in your relationships or just need a new perspective, email your questions, advice, or suggestions to GeneseeGray at Yahoo.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week with a new episode. Thanks, chat room. Please subscribe if you like it. Bye.